Hi, everyone, and welcome to this latest edition of the Red Wall podcast. Alex Feeney from FC Cymru here, and for once, I'm not claiming credit for someone else's hard work and toil. I have actually been doing stuff and talking to peeps, and I have a series of cunning questions for you. Who, in their right mind, would run around a football pitch without kicking a ball? Who would accept being shouted at as an occupational hazard? And who would make a decision knowing full well at least 50% of everybody present will completely disagree with them? If you don't know the answer to these questions, then you are not a referee, and neither am I. And that got me thinking, who are these people? Where are they? What do they eat? All very important questions. And to answer them, I've been talking to JD Cymru Premier and international referee Johan Griffiths, Michelle Portelli and Paul Fisher, who both ref in the lower leagues of South Wales, and Anthony Taylor, who was an English Premier League ref, but we won't hold that against him too much, because he and all the others give a real understanding of the shared experiences and knowledge that refs have at all levels of the game. I start, though, with Phil Thomas, the FAW referees manager, and his job is to make sure all refs are as refereeing refereed as a ref can be, which made him the perfect person to address the elephant in the room. Referees are, let's be honest, a strange breed. Um, they are obviously those sort of people that deliberately liked to just be a bit obstinate at school. They were always that child. Um, you became a referee. Why? I think that um, that can be the sort of general perception, but I think that um, when you get to know referees personally, um, they have the same personality as, um, as, as football players, as coaches, and are genuinely in the game or refereeing for the love of the game and to put something back into football where maybe they couldn't achieve out of, out of playing or coaching or see it as um, another avenue um, to succeed w- within the sort of footballing fraternity. Um, me, personally, um, I started refereeing at the age of 23 um, due to the fact that I was a rubbish player um, and I gained a few injuries and at the, at the time my employer did not pay any sort of sick sick leave. I mean, I, I was very fortunate during my career to um, achieve all, nearly every accolade sort of within the domestic game, including all the National Cup finals. Um, and again, fortunate enough to have spent 12 years as an international assistant referee where I officiated on Champions League, Europa League, um, World Cup qualifiers, every UEFA competition that was possible. And I would never, ever have had that opportunity through playing football. What refereeing gave me um, with them life skills that are required in, in, in everyday life. Um, in your working life from sort of man management, dealing with confrontation. So certainly, I think refereeing, most definitely gives you that sort of all-encompassing sort of life skills to help you in every aspect. Well, it was a little bit of an accident. I wouldn't say a terrible accident, but it was an accident in, in how I got involved in refereeing. I was actually asked to um, attend the course that was running in my local area by the course instructor to make up the numbers. Um, there was a, a course due to start. They didn't have many on it. So I was basically asked by the instructor to to see if I would be interested in just going along to make up the numbers to make the course viable, really. And here I am, 15 seasons later, still going. Wow. And uh, Michelle, then, uh, what, what, what terrible crime did you commit? Um, I just think I, I love the game. Um, whether it's been having a kick, kick around in the park or coaching or officiating, I just fell in love with the game at a young age. Um, I was mum for a year on the sideline after I finished coaching. And then I decided to get back into football and I took part of refereeing wasn't an easy decision. Um, watching park games or international games, you know the referee is always going to get a lot of slack. And I was brave enough to do it. Well, not so brave. I actually dragged my son to the referee course with me. Um, walked into the room, and it was scary being the only female in the room, but I wouldn't change it for the world now. And Ioana, uh, because you're obviously so much further up the pathway, you must have been really, really bad at some point. 
<laughs> well, funnily enough, it was a good friend of mine who's also on the international list in Wales now. You know, he's an assistant referee on the Cymru Premier League. He was refereeing a kids game uh, in the village where we grew up near Carnarvon. And he didn't have anybody to run the line for him. So he asked me, obviously he had no experience of this. He asked me, would you mind running the line? I think it was an under-14s game. And I did it. And funnily enough, a course came up in the local area, a referee's course, a couple of weeks after. So I took that and the rest is history, really. Can you, uh, Paul, let's come back to you. Can you remember the first time you, you crossed the whitewash as a referee whistle in hand then? Can you remember what that felt like? Yeah, actually, my, my first... Um, my first game it was before we, uh, really um, me becoming a you know a fully um, a full time referee I suppose refereeing week in week out. Um, the ref there was a game on Portalbot Town's ground where Portalbot Town's third team were playing Porth Calls third team in a Portalbot League match and there was no referee appointed to the game so instead of one of the players or coaches having to step out in the middle I had literally just done the course and um, took charge of that game. On, on the ground now where Patalba Town play. That was my wow. game. And, and Michelle, do you remember your first time? Yes, it was a under-14 girls competition. I was extremely nervous and I think I made an awful decision with an off- offside. And the coaches weren't friendly at all. Um, but Matt from the South Wales Girls League um, was extremely encouraging after the game. Spoke to him via email and he up my confidence to step back out on the pitch the week after. Wow, well, well done for, uh, well done for, uh, and, and, and thank heavens he was there for that to uh, sort of, you know, prop you up and support you then. And, and, and you, and then, you, there's no way you can remember your first time. I mean, it was so many games ago. I, I can actually, funnily enough, um, but I was an assistant referee. I was too young to referee adults football then because I was only 14. And my first ever match as an assistant referee was Carnarvon Town Reserves versus Nevin United in the Gwynedd League. And that was actually played on the Oval, Carnarvon's ground. And I think my whole family came down to the ground that day and sort of packed the ground out. So there was more members of my family there than, than spectators, I think. So, um, yeah, I've, I've never forgotten that, really. I don't think you ever forget your first game and your first, your first match because it's such a special moment. But like I said, that was back in 2003, 2004, so many, many years ago. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to labour on the negative side. We will get to the more positives of it. How big a shock was it when you know the, the first insult came in or the first abuse came in, either from a coach or a player or or even from just somebody just walking the dog on the sidelines? And I mean, what what sort of effect does that have straight off the bat? Well, as as a young man at the time, it does affect you. Um, but luckily enough, we, I had a mentor who came with me for my first couple of games. So at half time, obviously you try and ignore it during the first half. At half time, the mentor would come in and speak to you. And I think the coaches and players would also be aware that I was a young referee and they would not go in hard, you know. They would be sensible. Obviously, you would have a couple who would overstep the mark, but then they had to be dealt with. And I think that's one stance I took early on as a referee was I wasn't going to tolerate any nonsense, really. Regardless of my age, I was going to come down firm and hard. And um, I think it worked for me over the years because I must say I can probably count on one hand how many awful incidents I had as I was going through the leagues up in North Wales, you know. And, and Michelle, I mean, so you started with under-14s girls then. Was, that, was there even sort of a little bit of hostility there? Or, or, you know, what sort of experiences have you had? Not between the players. The players were very respectful. It was more coaches and parents, which you do tend to find with grassroots football. Um, but since that first game, you know, the way I obviously approached all the rest of the games that I officiated in, I've changed my stance and like, I wasn't intimidated. And that's the main thing to obviously take forward from, from games like that. Um, last year, I actually done a friendly for two local teams, um, which was very challenging. And again, um, men's team... <laughs> Yeah, it was extremely challenging and that was the kind of the game where I was either going to pack it in or continue with it. Um, but because of the experience throughout the, the season before, um, it enabled me to obviously control that game and move forward. You're always going to get comments made by either players or managers or members of the public watching the game. 
and it's just about obviously you not reacting to the situation and just obviously controlling the game to your best ability. And Paul, um, just a uh, uh, just to lay it to, to rest. Then, uh, who is worse? Is it coaches? Is it parents? Is it spectators? Then, where, where does you know where are the where are the biggest idiots? I think you know we come to you can come from anywhere really. But I think you know, coaches have got a desire to win, and you know we all understand that. And and unfortunately, they do um, uh, always set the mark at times. But um, I think as you rightly said, you know if you if you don't put up with any nonsense and and, and affirm on a, on a game. Then you get more respect from you know taking that stance than than you know turning a blind eye to some some bad behaviour. So you know I think I firmly believe in um, you know referees have got a, a big part to play in you know taking firm action. So you know everybody can enjoy the game really, whether it's a player, manager, coach, or a spectator. I think early on as well, they see a young referee come on the pitch, some of the coaches, and they deliberately test you. So they try and push and push and push just to see whether or not you would react and just to see how you would react. So my advice to, to all the young referees I work with is, is to give their personality over and to treat them as humans, really, and not to take any nonsense and to deal with it straight away because these people do test you to see what kind of personality and whether you would crumble under pressure or whether you can deal with it. So the best way to deal with it, in my opinion, is to be firm, to be fair, and to use your personality and just treat them as humans, really. And I think you'll get more respect by doing that than reacting in a different way. Do any of you have uh, refereeing heroes? Uh, so the, the people that you've seen officiating, you've got, yeah, do you know, I, I could take something from their game or I can, uh, you know, I, I, um, I appreciate their style or their personality or anything like that. And as any of you, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not saying if any of you got a, like a ref pilled up, pinned up on your wall sort of thing, but, you know, somebody that you, either the way that they manage the game or, or um, you know, anything that they, you've picked up from the way that they go about it. Michelle, can we start with you on that? Um, I think it'd have to be Cheryl Foster. Um, obviously, she's made the transition from being a player to a referee. She's excellent at officiating. Um, I went and watched her officiate the Barrytown game back last season. Well, this sorry, this season, I should say. I'm still thinking we've finished now. Um, yeah, and I just, yeah, I do look, at, look up to her. She's really helpful as well. I've met her at the female conference as well, and I just appreciate all, all her input and guidance that she provides. And it's, I mean, how important is it to you? It sounds like a stupid question, but how important is it to you that there is a, a female official at that sort of level that you can, uh, a, a, learn from, but B, also see that there, you know, there's a pathway for women to get to that sort of stage as well? Well, it's, it's just brilliant. Obviously, listen, listening to Shadow's story, it's just in, inspirational. And I just think, obviously, for younger referees, especially female referees, having somebody like Shadow there, then you know there is a pathway and you've got the opportunity to obviously got, get your UEFA badges and stuff. So it's, it's just brilliant having Shadow up there and representing women. How complicated is the game? Now, I... I'm specifically saying because you know, obviously, uh, I, I watch football and everything from international down to grassroots, and I know that I do not understand the whole rooms rules of the, uh, the, the. I believe they're called laws. Is that is that right, Ian? Is it laws? Correct. Okay, good, excellent. Um, so there are, you know, obviously, so many, so many uh, uh, laws there. So you know, how complicated actually is football, Paul? Personally, I think it's it's quite simple. You know, we we do have to make more, far more non-decisions in a match than we actually make decisions. So, you know, in a, in when we are, when we are out there in the middle, we are thinking, you know, do we all need to concentrate on the decisions we make? But we make far more non-decisions in a game than actual decisions that you will probably comment on. So, um, you know, it, it is. Um, you, you do need to think on your feet when you're refereeing, but really, if you think about it, it is, it is a quite simple game. Sometimes the interpretation of these of the laws, like, you know, particularly uh, offside probably is the, is the biggest one, um, which has, you know, changed in the last couple of seasons. But I, I, personally, I think it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a simple game, but unfortunately, some people analyze and perhaps make it more com um, complicated than it actually is. Johan, you're um, dealing with top-level uh, players then, but um, from you know chats that I've had, the one thing that always seems to come back is how little they know about their, the, the actual rules of the game, though. So how, how often are you effectively teaching on the pitch? 
Yeah, you, you do sometimes become a teacher, but I think steps have been progressing over the years where the FAW have been working specifically with clubs before the season. So they would go into the clubs and explain if there's any new law change, then that would be explained to the clubs and then they would be filtered down, hopefully, to the players. I mean, Paul mentioned interpretation and I think that's what certain players sometimes struggle with, is how you as a referee have interpreted that foul A was a foul and five minutes later something similar, in their opinion, happened and he didn't think it was a foul. So as long as you can explain yourself and sound convincing, to the players, most of them will generally accept your explanation and move on. Consistency is so important across the board and it's something we work very, very hard on before the season and during the season where we have our meetings every two or three months. We come together as a group uh, and what we do is we basically watch clips from the Welsh Premier League or the Cymru Premier League and then we have an open discussion and then we should say if that happens again as a group, this is what we should do or if this situation occurs, this is the best way to deal with it. So if everyone's on board, then hopefully if that sort of situation happens again, the outcome is going to be the same. So those are the refs. And it turns out they are fairly normal people with normal lives, jobs, appetites. And the reasons they got involved stretched from being press ganged into it by their parents to wanting to help out their local club or league, or just wanting to be a part of the game at the highest level in any way they can. But where do they learn their craft? And is there a specific part of the course where they have to withstand 90 minutes of constant criticism to see if they'll crack? Before we get into that though, a moment of your time. We hope you're enjoying this podcast, and if you are, would you consider giving us a five-star rating on your podcast provider so that others may find it and enjoy it too? And while you're there, if you haven't already, why not click or tap subscribe so you never miss another fascinating episode? So, back to making a ref then, and I spoke to Simon Richards, who runs an online learning company called eCoach. Through their online courses, eCoach is opening up new avenues and opportunities for people who maybe wanted to learn and get involved, but they struggled to find the time. More from him in a bit, but first, here's FAW Ref Manager Phil Thomas again, setting the scene. Phil, you now look for and you train and develop the next generation of referees and you take them on the pathway from grassroots up to you know even even international level then the people that want to join these courses then i mean what sort of stories do they have what sort of reasons are they just completely you know is it a huge broad range of people oh absolutely it's it's a massive broad range of people that um are attracted into refereeing um you know, I, I think as as sort of um, time moves on, we are getting a lot more um, younger recruits. Where previously it would be predominantly um, people who have maybe played the game and then decide they want to put a, a, something back into football or remain in, in football. The pendulum is swinging now more towards the younger recruits um, coming on board. We still get in obviously the the ex players and. The, the, the balance there at the moment is right between sort of youth and experience as well within within refereeing. But we are, you know, I mean, there's definitely a broad range of um, of, of people who, who take up the course. So, Simon, then this is kind of where you come into the equation then with eCoach. Just, uh, I mean, let's start with the basics. Tell us about each co- eCoach and about your platform. Yeah, well, uh, eCoach, an online learning solutions provider for, with a sort of niche approach to um, creating online courses and learning management systems for sports organisations. And we started working with the FAW back in 2016. Um, and we launched the first, globally, the first uh, online referee recruitment tool in 2017 uh, with Phil's predecessor, Ray Ellingham. And then Phil came on board as well. And it's really gone from strength to strength. Um, and Phil, there was mention in the, the pandemic and we see nearly 300 new referees come on board since the beginning of April, which is an incredible amount when you consider that before uh, the FAW took the training online, they were getting around 100, 110 uh, yeah. referees going through the system each year. So, so that's what we do. We just sort of basically help um, sports organizations and uh, other organizations too, just to take their training online and ensure that you know, it's, um, you know, it's high quality stuff as, as much as anything else. And how have you and Phil worked together then to 
make sure that you know it works the way the that Phil needs it to. The referees understand that they can interpret then because it's you know it's it's incredibly nuanced sort of stuff that they're they're talking about in the processes. So how difficult has it been to match up to the requirements that the FAW had? Well, it is tricky, but I think uh, what a lot of organizations are scared of when we talk about online learning is the fact that you're going to take everything from the classroom and the pitch and put it all online. But actually, the real um, secret to success is using both approaches, and that's what we did with the FAW. So if you think about it, um, over the old FAW uh, course for potential referees, it was six weeks in the classroom, and then you'd have a face-to-face session at the end. But actually, the six-week stuff you're doing in the classroom, you can do online because it's watching videos and it's, um, it's looking at the, the laws, which are the same all around the world, aren't they? Um, so what you're doing is you're taking those referees who are really skilled and knowledgeable about the game, and you take them out of the classroom where they don't always feel 100% sort of um, uh, relaxed and um, comfortable training, and you put them on the pitch, and then you're putting the classroom stuff online because the laws of the game are the laws of the game. And it's all about the context you give. It's the video clips you use, it's the interactions and the engagement, the quizzes that you use to make sure that people have the that knowledge and do have that kind of understanding. And I think people really enjoy that because they can go at their own pace. You know, they can do it around their families. So if they've got to put the kids to bed, they can press pause or they can press stop. And they can come back an hour and a half later with a cup of tea and finish off the course. They can resume where they left off. And they don't need to drive 40 minutes every Tuesday night um, to watch videos on a whiteboard, which is, you know, generally what, what happens anyway. So it's about using both. So you've got the great online platform where people can do everything at their own pace. And then you've got Phil and his team answering questions and going into the subtleties of refereeing on a football pitch somewhere as well. So it works perfectly that way. So, Phil, from your point of view, then, this has opened up avenues uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Um, you know, f- f- from, from our perspective, the, what we found with the, with, with the classroom um, courses is that um, they were obviously rigid and didn't offer the, the candidate any flexibility. So what we find now is with, with online learning and, you know, you've got a set, set sort of time frame to complete the online element before the practical course, that the learner can actually, you know, can, can dip in and out of the course at, at their leisure. So it completely gives that flexibility. And I think that, you know, in, in, in 2020 now, the way lives are and the way sort of working life is, surely for a lot of people, to ask somebody to attend a classroom session for for six weeks on the at the same time at the same time, I think that the online course is definitely far more attractive from, from that perspective. Um, plus, I mean, the, the online course is is really interactive as well. So what you haven't got there is not just literally sort of eight to ten hours of PowerPoint sort of um, explaining the laws of the game. It goes into depth. There's, there's probably at least 20 to 30% of the content is, is video clips, which explains decisions and sort of explains the criteria behind decisions. So we feel that the candidate, I mean, going into the practical course, which we hold after the online learning, are already sort of um, in tune with what is required um, for that sort of refereeing journey when they step onto the field of play. But there is, a, there is another um, course online as well, and that's for, it's just a, a sort of mini course, as it were, just to get a bit of um, a taste for refereeing. So it's for people who, who maybe um, are asked to go off and referee their kids' football on a Saturday, but they've never had any training whatsoever. Basically, the only knowledge they have around refereeing is from when they played or when they watch Match of the Day. Yet we expect thousands and thousands of parents and coaches to be refereeing thousands of games every, uh, every weekend, which is kind of mad when you think about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. I am one, one of those. those. <laughs> we, we've had that, you know, we sort of, uh, on a Saturday morning with the boy, it's like, right, who wants to ref? And everybody's kind of looking at their shoes yeah. and we, you know, we pass it around. And it is literally like that. We're sort of looking at each other going, is that it, right? Is that right? Is, yeah. it, is that a rule? I don't... Uh, <laughs> I don't... So, I had to referee um, my Winkle Pickers once. I, I, <laughs> I, didn't look, I was going shopping after I took my son to play football. And I had Winkle Pickers and a pair of tight jeans on. Um, and I, was, I had to take the middle. And that was even worse. But especially when you haven't got the confidence and knowledge. But that, that course in itself is all online because we understand that actually if you just want a taste for refereeing, you probably don't want to go somewhere and have long discussions with referees. So you want to just do something nice and quickly online, see if you like it 
get a bit of get upscale to a point where you can referee a youth game with with confidence you know and, and deal with it that way so yeah it is it's a completely mixed approach and online learning always will be and throwing into the mix now the fact that everyone uses zoom and teams so often that, that becomes part of online learning as well and face-to-face -face becomes maybe talking to someone uh, like we're talking at the moment recruitment is pivotal in refereeing retention is obviously just as important so we ensure that i mean all referees in wales um receive a the support required really to to sort of help them to help nurture them and to um you know to, to aid them with, with their refereeing careers so the first thing we do when when a referee passes their qualification is we will i'm in touch with a local area association um and then their or local area association then will provide them with a relevant training and education and mentoring which is important to ensure that we retain them in the game and they feel valued and that they are obviously playing a pivotal role in in football in wales and i think that is what is is really important i mean I, 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 you you talk about mentoring there when i hear uh, somebody talk about uh, refereeing mentoring what i'm actually hearing is support group um just because Absolutely. Yes, just because, you know, you can teach the laws, you can teach processes, you can teach interpretation. How do you teach abuse or dealing with abuse? How do you teach uh, uh, being the only person on the pitch who everybody is united and thinking is wrong at all times? You know, at least 50% of people on that pitch, uh, on that pitch or, or watching that game will always know that regardless what decision that they don't agree with it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and you know, it, it's 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 a difficult one, Alex. Um, you know, and that that is one actual aspect that we've built into our um, referee leaders award, where we we've got some sort of um, questions in there of how you would deal with different scenarios, which hopefully helps um, which helps the referee then when it comes to them situations. But that is the, the that is the whole sort of idea of, of the, the mentoring system that we have within Wales, where you know their mentors are there. Um, as you as you rightly say, Alex, you know, I mean, the, the main focus is on support, advice, um, you know, guidance in situations that they've probably never dealt with before in in life, let let alone on on the football field. So it's about sort of preparing them for every eventuality on the field of play and and obviously external from the field of play as well. Um, so, you know, so they, they are sort of well equipped to be able to deal with them situations should they arise as difficult as they are at the time. So that's who these people are and how they are trained then. But I also wanted to talk to someone who knew what it was like to referee in front of tens of thousands on the biggest stages in the world and whether the experiences at that level are shared at all levels. And I was in luck. Because at a recent Welsh referee conference, the guest speaker was none other than English Premier League referee Anthony Taylor. So he talks about that, about the nerves which come with refing at the top level, and the importance of communication between officials, something which is critical at whatever level you're at, as we find out. The actual reason I started taking it was uh, because of my mum. Every weekend, uh, me and a small group of friends, we used to go and uh, watch our hometown team, Altrincham, we play in the, still playing the National League now. Um, and she was sick of me coming home on a Saturday night, whining about referees, how, how rubbish referees were, how they'd cost, uh, cost Altrincham the game and all this kind of stuff. And she, um, she effectively told me to either go and give it a try or shut up. Shut up basically and that's what uh, that's what started it all and obviously I was still I was still at school then one of the real tangible benefits I think that you know it's particularly from younger people who who decide to take up the whistle um, it either supplements them playing football so you know getting a bit more of an understanding from from a different perspective of the game in terms of the laws and, and things like that but equally it's um, it's uh, really good at developing a young person's confidence and decision-making ability. And they're obviously transferable skills that, 
but moving to to any walk of life as you go through from from school into into your first job and, and beyond. So it's it's not always um, some really sad lonely people who can't play football and don't have any mates and that's what we're going to do all weekend. It's there are some real serious positive um, things that can can come from becoming involved in refereeing. When you're looking at a particular incident, what is going through your head in terms of applying the laws of the game, in terms of applying interpretation? The real underlying key factor here is when a player or a manager asks you why you've made a decision, and this is something that, that we try and impress on, on aspiring officials coming through, you've got to be able to try and explain why you've made the, that decision. Interpretation will always be subjective because everybody has slightly different opinions, you know, and that, that is part of the beauty of football. But what we can try and do as a group of, group of officials is to try and get people to understand a little bit more some of the factors that we are trying to interpret as part of that process when we make those decisions on the field. But when, when Phil asked, um, asked me to come and do some work with the the panel of assistants and the referees for, for the League of Wales. It's something that I don't really hesitate in saying yes to because what I do think is, particularly for those of us who are so lucky to to reach the, the very top of the, the game, we almost have a an obligation to, to put something back in. Now, whether that be in our own country or another country, it doesn't really matter. Um, because at the end of the day, Referees are just like players and uh, and coaches. Everybody wants to be successful and everybody wants to be involved in the top top games. And if that's uh, if sharing some experiences help a couple of the the guys or the ladies on the on the League of Wales um, become better, because that's what it's ultimately about. Always looking to 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 get better and, and improve. Then I'm I'm more than happy to do that. And again. Referees aren't as miserable and sad as people think. Sometimes, you know the the the. Well, I've always thought you must have a sense of humour. <laughs> <I've, I've, laughs> well, yeah. So nobody, nobody does that job. Doesn't have a sense of humour. I've always, uh, I've always of, considered that. The levels of interaction and the, and the willingness to, to to get better is. <laughs> There is, a, I suppose, there is an expression uh, that you you play the game and not the occasion. But there must be some occasions where the butterflies are there more than others, where you're thinking this is going to be amazing. Yeah, but I mean, it's like um, it's like any elite sport. Well, um, you've got to try and harness that and and turn that into turn that into a positive. So I'm I'm not just thinking about myself when I'm doing it. Um, particular game I'm, I'm thinking about all my team that are there with me you know um, and so it's important to me that the assistants in the fourth official who are working on a game with me are relaxed and in the best, best possible frame of mind because otherwise they're not going to perform to the best form um, and so probably that distracts a little bit from any any nerves that I have got but, but any nerves I do experience are in a, in a positive way, I'm not. I'm not kind of sat there in a the corner, cowering, shaking the wind. I don't want to go and do this. It's like, right, come on. It's, it's a buzz. It's the one thing that I, I can't explain to people properly is the actual buzz that you get. So if you could, if you could bottle the feeling that you get stood just in the tunnel just before you work walk out in front of seventy thousand, eighty thousand people on 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 big games, it 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 would be fantastic to be able to share that experience with people. I mean, it would make your hair stand on and but just on the back of me, just on the back of my neck here. Just, uh, but, the eyebrows. Um, <laughs> but it's really difficult to explain how, what that kind of feeling, just like a player would say about scoring um, a hat-trick at Wembley or something along those lines, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great feeling to be involved. I think, obviously, you know, being a good referee, it's all about the communication in the changing rooms before the game. Um, the referee will obviously um, let you know what they expect of you for the game. Keeping up with the game is really important so that you know your view of the game, your opinion, your calls on the game, they're not being judged then. If you're obviously not in the right position, then 
people are going to question your ability to make that judgment. Um, just, and yeah, just making sure you have the referees back and you're there and you're in the position to obviously make that call and being prepared to obviously call for anything that needs to be, to be raised. And Paul, um, how often do referees disagree? Or referees and their assistants disagree? Yeah, it, 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 in, a, in a game situation, um, you know, if you go back to the to the point that Michelle made, you know, if if you're if you've given your assistants clear instructions and 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 you've worked with people previously, you know, you shouldn't really be disagreeing on 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 things and working together. You know, you you get each other, you become telepathic when you work together for so many times. You know, you know, you almost expect what your assistant is going to give you when they expect the decision. Um, you know that the referee is going to make, but also you before the game you've planned. You know where you expect an assistant to get involved, where you wouldn't expect them to become to become involved. So um, you know, a lot of planning goes into that. So you don't you shouldn't have referees and assistants really you know crossing each other or making uh, completely opposite decisions. Yo, and I, I can feel you sort of um, hovering over around that 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 point there. Yeah, I mean. Paul's nailed it really. It's all about communication to your assistants before the game. I mean, at Cymru Premier level, you sometimes work with the same assistants so they become to understand how you work on the field and then you understand how they work. So it's sort of understanding each other and like Paul said, he split the pitch into different zones so the assistant would know where to come in or where I would want their input or where I wouldn't want their input. I mean, it's inevitable you're going to disagree on a decision but it's about getting to the right decision at the end. Uh, that's the main thing, really. And if the area of the field, if the assistance has got a better angle, then you would tend to go with whatever they've seen if you're in a poor position, for example. So it's all about communication and what you communicate to the assistance before the game in your instructions. If there was a uh, you know a, a message that a, a as a referee you'd like to say as a referee to players, coaches, um, supporters, you know, just to help them to understand a little bit more about your role or where you're coming from, what what would that message be? I think um, it would do everybody good if players, managers, spectators took a little bit of time just to learn a little bit about the laws of the game. So when they are having a bit of a pop at us in the, you know, when we're out in the middle making decisions, they've got a little bit of understanding. You know, we don't expect, you know, managers, players, spectators to become experts overnight. But I think just take a little bit of time to um, to learn the laws. I think it would probably make it in experiences of football more enjoyable if they could actually understand why a referee has made a decision which has ultimately affected a match. So, you know, that that's one thing I would like to see is that you know, just just learn a little bit. You don't have to learn, you know, the laws of the game inside out. Just learn a little bit, the takeaway, and just perhaps it'll help their understanding of the game. Michelle? Yeah, I think, you know, what Paul said, you know, is, is definitely on spot. Um, but I would just say, just enjoy the game. You know, let the referee do their job and just watch the game, enjoy it. And, you know, hopefully everyone will have, have a good game. I think I'd encourage people, now they have more time on their hands, because we're still in lockdown, just to go on the websites and to give the course a go, you know? I mean, there's been such a, a shift now from the classroom-based course. It's all online now, so you can do it in your own time, uh, become a ref. So I would encourage people, go on the Become a Ref website, give the course a go, and I can guarantee you that you'll learn so much about football. I think that's going to enhance your experience, whether or not you want to take up refereeing or not. I think it's going to enhance your experience by watching a game because you'll know more of what's going on or you'll know how the referee's thinking when he's making a decision. The experiences I've had from refereeing has been unbelievable. The countries I've, I've visited, the friends I've made, the contacts I've made, uh, they're worldwide, you know, and especially in Wales, there's such a close bond uh, between the Cymru Premier League referees. It's, it's quite special. So it's the best thing I've probably ever done in my life, to be honest, was uh, going on the course 16 years ago. Michelle, what have you got out of it? What has it taught you? Just not to be afraid of making the wrong decision and just making sure you know you, you learn from it if you do make the wrong decision and just being confident and being assertive um, because football is a fast-paced environment. You know, you've got to have good decision-making skills 
and it's just been it's well it's just being confident really whilst you're on that pitch and being consistent i think it's, it's understanding and realizing that you know by you being on top of your game and, and putting in a good performance you can actually make you know a good game into a really really good game for people watching so you know that, that you can you know when you play great advantage and a goal is scored from it you know that's you contributing to you know a game which everybody enjoys and loves watching so you know that that's the best part of it is being part of that uh, a great game that everybody goes home and talks about um for the right reasons there is a i suppose there is an expression uh, that you you play the game and not the occasion but there must be some occasions where the butterflies are there more than others where you're thinking this is going to be amazing yeah but i mean it's like um it's like any elite sport though um, you've got to try and harness that and and turn that into turn that into a positive so i'm i'm not just thinking about myself when i'm doing it um, a particular game I'm, I'm i'm thinking about all my team that are there with me you know um, and so it's important to me that the assistants and the fourth official who are working on a game with me are relaxed and in the best possible frame of mind because otherwise they're not going to perform to the best former um and so probably that distracts a little bit from any any nerves that i have got but, but any nerves i do experience are in a, in a positive way i'm not i'm not kind of sat there in a the corner carrying shaking going i don't really want to do this it's like right come on it's, it's a buzz it's the one thing that i, I can't explain to people properly is the actual buzz that you get. So if you could, if you could bottle the feeling that you get stood just in the tunnel just before you work walk out in front of seventy thousand, eighty thousand people on 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 big games, it it it'd be fantastic to be able to share that experience with people. I mean, it would make your hair stand on and but just on the back of me, just on the back of my neck here, just uh, <laughs> but the eyebrows. Um, <laughs> But it's really difficult to explain what that kind of feeling, just like a player would say about scoring a hat trick at Wembley or something along those lines. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great feeling to be involved. Now, if you'd been watching the video version of this program, this is where it would have ended for you. But because you are a true podcast fiend, we've added a little bit extra where we get into quite a good chat about referee superstitions, the kit that they use and how particular they are about it. And after that, from Anthony, well, given he's used to refereeing in front of 50, 60, 70,000 people and is surrounded by some of the best players in the world, I wanted to know whether he still enjoys the game as a fan, even when he's refereeing, what playing games under lockdown conditions are like, and whether there's a howler in the closet which keeps him awake at night. Referee superstitions. Are there any? Are there? Because in the same way that players, you know, will put their boots on right foot first or they'll have lucky underwear or, you know, something like that. Is there anybody in the game or, or any of you guys uh, is sort of like, no, I have to do this before a game? And, and, and Johan's already nodding, so there must be something there. Yeah, believe it or not, I use the same whistle as I did when I uh, first refereed my first ever match. It was a little green Fox 40 whistle. Every single referee, uh, sorry, every single game I've refereed has been with that green whistle. So from my first ever game to to, to now, I still use it to this day. And it's, what, 15, 16 years old? Wow. I wash it regularly, by the way. Oh, good, um, good, good, good. Yeah. So, yeah, I use the same whistle as I had when I passed the test. Blimey. And is that, uh, has it got a P in it? Is it a little uh, cork ball? No, there? it's you know? just a typical Fox 40. Uh, screw, I mean, the guys will know what I'm talking about. It's a specific brand of whistle that referees use. is very loud. It's very loud, very shrill, I believe. I, I have heard of these. Very loud. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's not like the typical rugby P one. It's, it is more of a squeal or a scream. It's very effective. Especially if somebody that... stands close to you and you want to get rid of this, blow that and you... scatter pretty quickly. Do you know when it's not there? You, you, you know, if you, if you, if you feel like it's a part of you, it's like, where's the whistle? I don't know where it is. Yeah, it, it happened to me once, actually. I refereed at Bangor many years ago. And I must have put it in my pocket, and I threw the kit on the floor before I went to the shower. And one of my assistants who lived in Rill 
he picked up the shirt and took it home. So when I got home to my house, I was looking through all my where's my whistle gone, and I actually contacted the assistants and I forced him to meet me halfway to give me my whistle back because I couldn't go to sleep that night until I had my whistle back in my bag. Wow, anxiety. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, what about you? I haven't, unfortunately. No, no. Do you do you, do you have a, a favorite whistle? Do you have a range of whistles? Um, a good friend of mine actually bought me a personalized whistle for my birthday, um, so I'm looking forward to using that next season. So very kind of him, and it was a le- lovely gift. So um, yeah. A personalized whistle. Has it got your name on it? Is it? Yeah, in... it's got my name on it. Yep. Wow. Wow. Okay. One of the really random one I have is if I ever have a bad game then I never use the same yellow card again. So I check it in the bin. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we, we have our yellow cards where we write on the back. Yeah. If I ever have a bad game or make a mistake, then I, I will never use that yellow card again. I'll bin it and use a new one. Okay, all right. Uh, Phil? Sorry, not, uh, yeah, no, not Phil. Uh, beg your pardon, Paul. I get called worse, don't worry about that. Um, I use the same yellow card for, for absolutely donkey's years. And it was a bit battered. And but unfortunately, some of my colleagues, when they saw me take that card out of the bag, it was like, "Oh God, I mean, you're going to have today." Then, so I've, I've been that now. It was a little bit of a bad luck omen, um, being used a bit uh, bit too often, I think. So that's been binned. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, referees kit. Then I mean, I've, I've seen a referee pro. Uh, how how um, how very particular are you about your referee kits? Everything from the shirt to the socks to you know uh, multiple pencils or you know uh, all the sort of prep that you go through. Then how uh, is it all laid out for you? Are you very particular about it? Is it is, is nobody allowed to touch it then, uh, Michelle? Um. Yeah. I I look after mine well, and it's obviously packed in my my kit bag, tidy. Everything's in place where I know where everything is. Um, and then obviously, yeah, I think each referee's got their own little routine when they get to the changing rooms of how they unpack everything. And it's all all there neatly, so it's all accessible. Um, yeah. Uh, Johan, um, you might have some experience of this. Then I uh, had the, uh, the privilege of following Sheriff Foster when she did uh, an international game in Holland. And uh, the one thing that, that what she took as hand luggage was the referees' uh, radios and the ref equipment and stuff. Everything else was uh, that was in the hole. The, the stuff that she would not let go of was the referee stuff that she knew she needed. Yeah. I, I think that's the golden rule of if you're ever travelling internationally, you always keep your kit on you because there have been numerous examples in the past where we've taken our kit with us and it hasn't arrived, you know. So that means... We haven't got any kit, so it's vitally important that you you pack your kit and you take it and you take your kit with you on the plane, so you know it's there, it's safe. You got your boots, you got your whistle, you got your kit. So if anything else happens, you can live without a shirt. But once it comes to game day, you'll need your kit to to, to perform. And have you forgotten anything? Have you gone to a pitching on um, uh, Paul? Paul, come on. Uh, I, about two seasons ago, I went through a spell. I don't know what happened, but I just I was turning up the games without socks or without a shirt. I don't know what, why it happened, and it, it never happened before. But for some reason, I had a bad month, and, and it, I think two or three times, I'd forgotten a different bit of kit. So since then, I'm absolutely paranoid about um, taking spares and keeping spares and, and stuff like that, because it's, you know, it's embarrassing if you're turning up, especially when you're in a team of three, and you're, you're there, and all of a sudden you haven't got a shirt or a, or a pair of socks. It's, um, it's awful. So since that moment, I've been ultra paranoid about making sure everything's packed. <laughs> Are you sure somebody wasn't messing with you at all? Well, I did think of that, but um, but no, it was definitely my fault. Uh, and uh, what do you do when you haven't got a shirt then? Well, I wore, I wore um, in fact, on one game, it was, it was at Jenna Park in Barry. It was um, Barry Town were playing um, Britain Ferry in the Welsh League Cup. And I actually wore the black, with a black shirt with, it had like red on, on it, but on my society badge. And the, actually, the um, Britain Ferry manager actually thought it was a, like a new kit for the competition. So um, I blagged my way to that and said, yeah, yeah, all the boys will be out now soon. So I go to that one. Michelle, you ever forgotten anything? My coin. Your coin? Yeah, my coin, yeah. <laughs> How embarrassing is that? Um, yeah, so I had to ha- ask one of the um, managers to borrow a coin so I could obviously um, toss it and make the decision of who's having kick-off or which way they're scoring. So, yeah. A bonus for us on the Cymru Premier, I guess, is you have a fourth official. And they tend to remember everything. I mean, I've been in a couple of 
sticky situations, especially when, when the vanishing spray first came in. It was so easy to, to forget that in the dressing room, you know. So you would go out on the field, five minutes in, you'd give a free kick and you'd think, oh my gosh, I've forgotten my, my spray. And then you'd have to sort of subtly get to the side without the assessor seeing you. Uh, I remember being on a game in trail once and it was live on television and I'd forgotten my spray. And you know the assessor's in a stand and you're going to get marked down or you're going to be told off for, for getting a piece of equipment. So I noticed three or four minutes in, I forgot my spray. So I was on, I was on the comms my fourth saying, I forgot my spray, get it ready. So when I'm given a goal kick, I'm trotting over to you, just discreetly give it to me. So we've planned all this out. So I gave a goal kick. And as you do, you, you, you run backwards. But I went wider than usual. So I was tugging the touchline. The next thing, it was like the fourth official was feeding me up. So he'd come behind me and he was slotting the spray onto my shorts. And then we just carried on. Seamless, absolutely seamless. I'm yeah. sure, sure. And, and the assassin didn't notice. So that was oh, fun. wow. Yeah. How closely they are, uh, they are watching then. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, do you all have a special coin? Because I know you wafer, they give you a special coin, don't they, uh, Elon? Yeah, that's right. At the beginning of every season where we, when we receive our FIFA badges, uh, in the parcel you get a couple of cards and you also get a, a FIFA coin or a new wafer coin as well, which, which are very handy coloured usually so you don't have to go heads or tails it's usually blue or yellow green i believe last season was it yeah yeah multicolored. there's a, yeah. there's a number of colors so you guys are you uh uh paul and, and michelle are you uh uh shooting for the heights of getting your own fifa coin being sent to you is that, is that what's uh is that the sort of thing that's driving you on michelle i wish i started refereeing when i was younger because unfortunately i won't have the opportunity to get my uefa badges because i'm not as young as i look um, yeah, so it would have been a nice opportunity, but at the moment I keep on using my two pence coins because refereeing on parks, you tend to lose a lot of coins when you're running. Um, but I do like the respect the ref referee, so I may look into purchasing one of them and use it on special occasions. Well, as we as we move into a cashless society, there may be uh, more, uh, you know, more of a uh, an opportunity to use um, you know special coins like uh, like that. Paul, you're still a fresh faced youngster. Then, do you have aspirations of uh, climbing the refereeing ladder? No, I think I I was lucky enough to I to officiate in the in the Welsh Prem as an assistant for I think three years, and then um, I was on the talent list for a year, so I, I I refereed games in that league. Fantastic experience, learned loads and loads. I was really fortunate to when I was on the line for those um, few seasons. You know, there was a really experienced referees. I learned so much from those referees over those seasons. You know, I was I was really fortunate. And you know, what I'm perhaps more interested in now is trying to help others who are coming up through the through the ranks. So, you know, I, I think I've been as high as I'm going to get. So I'm just enjoying what I'm doing now at the moment. Can you still appreciate football as in love football? I mean, the, do you ever catch yourself like somebody smashes one in from thirty yards, and you ever catch yourself going? That was amazing. Oh, yeah, sorry, gold, yeah, and blow whistle. Have you ever, has that ever happened? Yeah, you're still, you're still stood there going, most, how did that happen? Most games. <laughs> really? There'll be, there'll be yeah. a moment in, in, in a game where, uh, you know, you, we're, we're, particularly in England, we're very lucky. We have a couple, for example, the, the two best teams in the country at the moment, Man City and Liverpool. If you, if you are within 20 metres of either of those two teams, how they play football... It's breathtaking sometimes. Do you know what I mean? You know, fast counter-attacking football, um, being able to pass the ball in small triangles just to keep possession so they're giving the, the opposition the run around, you know. But then there are other times when you might be stood five yards away from a player who smashes in a shot from 30 yards. You can't help but go, that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you can <laughs> Obviously, I, mean, I suppose not, you've, obviously, I'm not going to be there going. That was amazing, brilliant. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> well, I mean, you are an Ultimate fan. I mean, you can't you can't see that very often, surely. You know, you don't well, you, you see that. Never know. We're in the playoffs. Don't knock it. All right. Okay. <laughs> any uh, any superstitions or any superstitions that you come up from uh, come across with other referees, like favorite socks or um, you know, always puts one shoe on first, anything like that? Um, yeah, there's one or two that might put shoes and socks on. Has to do it the same way, or lay the equipment out particular in a particular way. I haven't really got any particular things. The only thing I do do the same every single game is my when I the last song I play before we go out onto the field is always the same. And the song is uh, "Champion" by Carrie Underwood. Oh, mm, the old school, nice, like it. Yeah, 
Uh, Give us a rendition? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Refereeing in empty stadiums now. Yeah. What's that like? Is is that, does that suddenly become, is it totally different? Are you hearing so much more? Because obviously you're used to tens of thousands of people. So what's that like now? It's it's different in different circumstances. You can probably appreciate. I mean, I've had experience of doing behind closed doors games abroad as well before we've, we've done it here. So, um, it can sometimes the game can the atmosphere is flat obviously and sometimes that can affect the game but then it also depends on what's at stake on the game so sometimes the intensity of the game is still just as just as high as it would be with stadiums are being full but I think you, you've probably seen in the last few weeks the in the Premier League the, the intensity of most of the games has been a little bit less and players have kind of struggled to adapt a little bit um, and and again from, from a rest perspective you, you end up hearing every single bit of kind of noise <laughs> so, so so where you'd um it was probably easy to determine what's a foul or not when there's fifty thousand people and because you're hearing things when you're looking at things you're thinking well that's never a foul but then you can hear something you're thinking well has he kicked him or you know oh, um, no. so yeah a bit of getting used to but again got to adapt to the circumstances that we're unfortunately at the moment haven't we so play the game not the occasion yeah absolutely yeah is there a a, a wake up at a cold sweat at night still you know recurring nightmare type decision? There's one. I mean, there's one or two where you, even now you're thinking, how the hell did I get did I get that wrong? I mean, there's one from this season, and then there's there's one from a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, I gave a penalty at Swansea a few years ago where it was the attacker who actually handballed it and not the defender. Um, but as I said before, the the reason I got that wrong was because one, I was I was standing still and not moving, and so I had a terrible, a terrible viewing angle on on the situation, which just made it look like the defender handled the ball, but but he didn't. Um, so that's that's disappointing. And in fact, there was one that um, the one from this season I actually saw again last week on um, Sky were rerunning the game. It was um, it was in Tottenham Chelsea just before Christmas, and it's 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 a clear clear penalty Chelsea should have had. And uh, goalkeeper missed the ball and, and takes out the the attacker. But from where I was, it just looked like it was a foul on the goalkeeper. So I gave a free kick the other way. Um, but again, position, movement, not always getting the best view. Yeah. Um, I got caught caught by surprise by a long ball forward, and you know. But when I saw it again the other day, I was thinking, oh my word. They really. How did I, how did I make that decision? But that's brilliant from that camera that's right up on the top there, looking down. <laughs> angles, all about the angles. And there we are then, inside the mind of a referee or referees. There, peeling away the uniform, if that's not too graphic an image for you. So, what have we learned? Well, first off, contrary to all popular belief, these people are quite normal, possibly even as normal as you or I. Also, they have to know a lot about football and the laws of the game, and often it's the decisions that they're not making which are just as important as the ones that they are making. They see the game in a whole different way to us. And then there is this really quite beautiful camaraderie between referees at all levels where they share their experiences and their knowledge to constantly reassess and reevaluate how they manage the game and how they can improve. And if any of this has captured your imagination and you're currently scrambling at the back of the junk drawer for that whistle you got in a Christmas cracker back in 2011, then you are in luck because becomeareft.wales has loads of info, advice and courses you can take to be the person in the middle holding that whistle. That's www.becomeareft.wales. That's it for this edition of the Red Wall Podcast then. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please give us a glowing rating in your podcast provider. And if you haven't done it yet, why not subscribe and check out our previous episodes, including a wonderful behind-the-scenes look at the making of Don't Take Me Home, a fabulous documentary by Johnny Owen from Euro 2016, and great chat and bants with two massive characters in the Welsh game today. That's Connor's key nomads boss Andy Morrison and evergreen magic daps himself Lee Trundle. Well worth a listen. But until next time, ta-da!